Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. We bless you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are the kindest person we know. You are the best. You know, there's one thing about trials, suffering, when things are not going great that, uh, that drive us to the feet of the one who is actually the best thing ever. Like, it, it's a funny thing. Like, the, the worst of times bring us face-to-face with the one we really want. The way we thought things would turn out when we're faced with even severe disappointment, it causes that if we will respond correctly in our disappointment, we see his face. Jesus. And we're like, <laughs> you're all I want. Like I thought I wanted this, I thought I wanted that, I thought that I thought it was about that stuff, but it's about you. Am I am I speaking anyone's language this morning? Is that where you're at? I would just encourage you, turn your face. Can we just close our eyes for just a few more moments to just turn your face to the one? To the one. To the one who's worthy. To the one who is so lovely, so beautiful. You're here, but what we ask you to have your way in this room right now. We ask for you to just blow through hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would meet disappointment, Lord. You'd meet the suffering. You'd meet the pain in hearts all over this room, Lord, and that you would just so bring a healing balm, a healing ointment, Lord, just that your spirit would be like oil running over the wounds in our hearts, Lord, healing us restoring us right now. Lord, we, we ask, Lord, for your, for your comforting presence to just descend in this room right now. We don't want to talk about your presence, Lord. We want to know it. We don't want to talk about you, Jesus. We want to experience you. So come do what you can do, God. Come do what you can do today. Would you open your hearts? Just like Michelle said before we ever started service, would you just open your heart? you just open your heart even when it hurts even when it's painful we just open your heart let Jesus do what he wants in your life Holy Spirit come right now we love you Jesus we thank you for how you are the perfect expression of a good father. 
You're a perfect father. We ask for the, the light of your presence, the illumination of your Holy Spirit to reveal through your word, to reveal to our hearts who you really are today. That's nothing we can do. That's nothing a preacher can do. That's nothing a worship team can do. But Holy Spirit, you can reveal the love of the Father. And we ask that you do that. And it's in your name we ask. Jesus. Can you just tell him one more time? We love you, Jesus. He's so good to us. It's all about you. And we're so thankful you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can have a seat. <clears throat> I just love him. <laughs> How about you? I love Jesus a lot more than I love church. I love Jesus a lot more than I love a lot of stuff. I, I'm thankful for this, this house. I'm thankful for this church that we get to we do get to do this together. I'm just kind of overwhelmed. I was last night. I was thinking about just the opportunity we have to to just be, do this thing, and how great that is. And why why would why in the world would the Lord entrust us to be a part of what He's doing? I don't know. Y'all all for quiet this morning. Maybe you're just wrecked by the Lord. I think so. I kind of am. It's kind of like, do I preach? Can I preach? Somebody asked me if my shirt was a memorial to Jimmy Buffett. I mean, I wasn't thinking that, but now that you mention it, wasting. Uh, so good. So good. Um, yeah. Let's read out of Revelation today. How about that? You feeling, you feeling some Revelation? Revelation chapter 3, uh, yeah, let's do the NIV. This will be on the screen, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 20 and just jump right in to the heavy, meaty word this morning. All right, so background, John, the disciple, the one that we just sang about laying on Jesus in the, at the Lord's Supper before Jesus would be betrayed and crucified, and he's hanging on every word. I, I wonder if that tenderness toward Jesus might have had something to do with John receiving the revelation of Jesus. Like, I wonder if that, that posture of just leaning into his heart actually invited the revelation to come to him. I don't know. But he's writing what he's hearing. So he's in prison, he's in exile, and he's, he's just scribbling away as he's having these visions from the Lord and the Lord's showing him. And he says, uh, I want you to write some letters, John. I want you to sit down and write a letter to some churches. And back then, 
you got to understand it wasn't like the dwelling church or what. It was like the church of Savannah. Before we like split up, we were kind of still one. And uh, there was several churches that the Spirit says, hey, I want you to write this letter to this church of this city and tell them this. And so John's writing. And he, there's one church in particular, and if you're familiar with Scripture, you know where I'm going this morning because we've been in a series of return, and today is returning to first love. And that is the call to the church of Laodicea in this chapter. So I want to read that passage together. He says, to the angel or just the messenger, the pastor, some, some, some translations to that word. So we're not talking like angel to the angel, you know, just like the one who's going to read this letter, the one who's going to actually deliver this, write this to the church of Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Who you think he's talking about? It's Jesus. The, the glorious Jesus that he's encountering. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, those whom I what? Love. I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's one of those passages in the Bible that you may hear bits and pieces of it, but that's like one of those that you really don't want to talk about. Am I right? Can we just be honest? Like sometimes I read the words of Jesus and I'm like, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I mean, can you put a little cushion on that, you know? Spew you out. Like some translations, vomit. Jesus, like, let's soften up our language a little bit, you know? And I read things like that. But how many know when, I, when I'm offended by the word of God, it is me that needs to adjust. And what we're seeing in the church, sadly, in this hour, is that we're taking the hard-to-process things that Jesus has said, and we're flowering them up to the point where it's not offendable. And we want people to receive it, so let's just, don't do those verses, just do the ones that, below it, where he gets to the, you know, the, good, the nice part and all that. But how many know I need to be offended sometimes? Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about offense, carrying offense toward your brother or sister in Christ. I, I'm talking about sometimes the Lord, listen to me, sometimes the Lord himself will offend you. Yeah. Yeah. He will. Yeah. 
Sometimes he'll offend your mind to reach your heart. I would go so far as to say this. At some point in your life, in your pursuit of Jesus, of knowing Jesus, pulling close to him, you will encounter offense. There is always something that is offensive when you get closer to Jesus. And I would even say, in my experience, as you get closer to Jesus, sometimes the more offended you become. Because things you couldn't see before get revealed about your own life and your own heart. These days, there's something about this season that we're in right now. It's so precious. It's so tender. But it's also painful. Because I can stand right there and worship a lot of Sundays and enjoy myself. But it seems like lately I'm being confronted. And I can respond in one of two ways. I can, I can run from that. I can sing louder. I can run from I can just bear down until we get through this. And then I can go eat lunch and everything. Or I can press through the offense. Actually humble myself and go under the offense and actually pursue Jesus. Jesus, um, Jesus would say things sometimes that offended people. And have you seen the little meme where it's, it's Jesus on Twitter and he's like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. You can't be my disciple. And then it shows the followers going tick, 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 down, down, down. Like Jesus didn't worry about his, uh, his followers, his, how many people he's got liking what he's saying. I think he did that on purpose. Because I want you to think of it this way. Anytime I'm offended by God, it's a test. It's just a test. If that could turn you away, then is your heart really in it? If something so insignificant could actually cause you to be offended where you turn your face from me, did you love me in the first place? I'm thankful for tests. I'm thankful that, that the Lord doesn't just let me just la, 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 and just, you know, because I'll never know him unless I'm offended by him and press through that offense to actually know who he is. Sometimes he hides himself behind really, really hard things to process. I wonder, how, I wonder if that's the reason so many come to the wall and say, ah, no thanks. This is getting a little too hard to walk with Jesus. I'm out. But on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the offense, I believe there's depths of intimacy and friendship with God that you wish you had. You see in other people. This is why they live with Jesus on such a level, because they press through offense. I guarantee it. They walk through suffering when they didn't feel like walking anymore. They just kept walking with him. And they kept trusting him. I think, about, I think about people in this room. There's people in this church. You are heroic. And I know it's God in your life. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, you, you have walked through the most extreme pain, and you still remained faithful. You are a picture of God's grace in your life, but you made a choice. This hurts. I don't understand why this is happening in my life. This is painful. I'm questioning everything about what I thought God was and what he's like. But you know what? I'm not giving in to this. I'm going to keep walking. And then you realize 
oh, this is who you are. Oh, God, you're so much better. You're so much better than I thought. Don't run from the stuff like this. Don't run from the offense. Don't run from it. Because he wants to actually take you by the hand. He's not a harsh man. He's a tender father. And he wants to take you by the hand and walk with you. And so, that was the mini message just to digest this passage. And to put it in context, okay? There's, there's two extremes in the church. There's this extreme that says God is holy, God is judge, God is wrathful, He is vengeance. You don't mess with God, you know. I've been in I've been in environments like that where that's all they talked about. And I'm like, oof. And then there's another extreme. This is God is love. He's cool with anything. He's just gonna love you. You can live however you want to because his grace covers all. Let us pray. All right. But if we look at this, is this not the standard? We find a God who is so in love with you that it's indescribable. It's incomprehensible. The unconditional love that he has for you. But at the very same time, he can be offended and grieved and frustrated and even angry with us. You say, well, that doesn't jive. How many parents I got in the room? And if you're not a parent, you've experienced this on some relational level before. Look at me. The deepest pain is often connected with the deepest affection and love. Am I right? I would even venture to say, if you've not been hurt, you've not loved. Like, like love invites, it opens a heart and invites whatever. And sometimes that's not all good, especially in our human condition. Some of us have been hurt so bad, we don't want to open up our lives again to anybody. You know, maybe a relationship, a love interest failed and you're like, I will never love again. This hurts too bad. I don't want this. If we're made in God's image, God is not so simple, is he? There are complexities to his nature. And I know sometimes as a father, I can, man, I look at my children and there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. There is no length that I would not go to rescue them. I would give my life. I take a bullet for my children. Deep love in my heart for them. But how many know sometimes they act a fool? Like we all do. And some things that my children do frustrate me. 
some things that my children do cause me to think, oh, oh my gosh. Like, I'm about to go insane. Like, why are they, why are they doing that? Why do they got to fuss all the time? Why are they, you know. Now, I can, I can simultaneously love them and be fully committed to them while also grieve to the point where I'm just moaning in prayer for them. Weeping over my children because I'm so grieved. You ever love somebody so much when they hurt you just got so mad? And then you're like, I just love them so much. If I didn't love them so much, it wouldn't hurt so bad. Can I just say this is where Jesus is coming from when he says this? He's not just pointing out your flaws. He's saying, baby, I love you so much. Why are you acting like this? And and at at the very heart of this, you know, I think about us. When, when people hurt us, we just, we create an insulation around ourselves to like never be hurt again because now things have, have moved from love into fear. And those are the opposites, by the way. Perfect love casts out fear, but sometimes when love disappoints us, we create this bubble around us out of fear so that we will be protected and self-preserved. Yeah. And we don't want to let love in. We don't want to be hurt again. And anybody who threatens that safety, we push out of our bubble and we act all big and bad. Now, we love them so much, but then they're pushed out of our bubble and we pretend like it doesn't bother us. They're dead to me. But really, it's just a self-preservation thing. Are you following me? Often the people who we love the most are the ones who hurt us the most. Jesus is nothing like us. He does not push you out of his bubble when you disappoint him. You can disappoint him, but he loves you so much. There is no bubble pushing out. There's no self-preservation for him. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. He's not damaged because we turned our backs on him, because we betrayed him. He's full of love, and his eyes are burning like fire. It's love over you. And when we, when we walk away, when we turn our backs, when we, like Peter, deny that we know him, it doesn't cause him to push us out of his bubble. It causes him to grieve. And it causes him to say things like, I'm standing here at the door and I'm knocking. If you'll just open, this thing can be repaired. He hasn't walked out on you. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's always been there. That fact right there is both healing and devastating. I was listening to a friend of mine give a testimony on a podcast, and she says, it's hard for me to talk about my atheism because now I know. And she's like, I don't even know who that girl was. But the fact that the that Father God was with her in the moment that she was cursing him and cursing all of his followers. It's, 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 it's crazy how faithful he is. It doesn't make sense because we don't know anybody like that. We've seen it demonstrated in people, but there's nobody like him. There's no love like that. 
So God's discontentment with us does not affect his commitment to us. And he was telling the church at Laodicea, he says, my passionate pursuit of you is not being met with a passion from you. My passionate pursuit toward you and for you is actually being met with indifference toward me. See, that was the issue. And I would like to remind you that the church at Laodicea, these aren't people who don't know Jesus. These are people, and I, I want you to just think about the background of this place. It's like anywhere in this time period, it was not culturally okay to be a Christian, right? So these people at some point encountered Jesus and his grace to the degree that they were willing to risk it all to follow him. It wasn't like here where we raise a hand and get baptized in church and then we're like, yeah. Now, I think it's going to become increasingly hard to do so here with the culture changing. But the culture in Laodicea was, it's not cool to follow Jesus. It's not okay. It's actually going to cost you something. So these believers had actually walked through suffering with Jesus. They've walked through ridicule with Jesus. It actually cost them something. They, they heard the gospel and they were enamored with Jesus, laid their lives down in surrender and we're walking with him. And, but something happened. A little time passed. And that fire and that passion for Jesus began to wane. And I wonder if it had something to do with the culture that they were in. I wonder if it became hard to walk with Jesus. And I wonder if that just constant having to push against culture. And I'm just tired of being different. I'm just tired of being different. I'm tired of, I'm tired of losing friends. Like I've lost so many friends. I don't want to lose any more friends. I just want to be the guy that everybody likes. And I wonder if being on fire for Jesus was so frowned upon that it began to quench the fire in them. I don't know what the reason was for what happened in this church. But Jesus says, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I have to guess that at one point they were hot. The passion was there. The fire was there. But the pressure began to quench the fire. And here they're at the point where they probably didn't even know they were there. Right? That happens a lot. We don't even know where we are spiritually until the Holy Spirit shows up and says, um, let's look around. You've gotten a little off, gotten a little off the road. And I, I, Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, but I wonder if he's talking to us too this morning. I wonder if he's, he's, he's inviting us to, to take a deep look into our hearts and, and really get honest and not run from the offense and not run from the awkwardness in the room, but actually get honest with ourselves of like, have I, have I waned in my passion? Have I, have I given Jesus, have I given his place away to other things in my life? And to name those things, to name those things and repent, to turn, to change the way we think and give our hearts fully to him again. This is what this is about, return. 
It's about wholehearted devotion. I wrote in my notes, what we're doing for him does not matter anything near to him as much as why we are doing it for him. Sometimes we can replace good deeds with a heart that loves Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, I've done it myself. I've done the good deeds and my heart has not been pointed in his direction at all. Sometimes I've done good deeds just to feel better about myself. But I'm saying the more connected we are with him, the good deeds actually matter. He doesn't want you working for him. He really doesn't. And I preface that because next week we're going to talk about working for him. <laughs> talk about serving people well. But if I'm not serving him from a place of love, why am I serving? And so he's calling us return. He's calling us back to first love, not because he needs our love, because we need his love. Because we need him. We need that kind of love. I'm just telling you, God, you know, when you say yes to Jesus, it doesn't mean all your problems are going to be wiped away and all your, you never have issues again and all that. It doesn't mean that. It means he's going to walk with you through this, give you a different perspective on things, heal those places in your heart. But he's calling us back because his love is actually what we need. And I wonder, I wonder if our brokenness, sometimes even as people who claim to follow him, I wonder if it's because, we're, I wonder if we're still broken because we've just, not, we've just not been burning hot. We've not been in proximity because when you're in proximity to Jesus, it begins to show up in your life. All right. I want, I want to close with a story. Um, I've told this story before and I'll tell it until I die. And you're going to know it by heart and you're going to mouth the words as I'm saying it. But I was, uh, I, I was a, a youth pastor, worship leader in 2015 in Alabama. A few years before we moved here to plant this church. And I know we throw out the word burnout a lot these days. I think I was burnt out. I think I was, uh, I think I was to the point in my life, Christian life, where I was just, I was so tired. I'd done ministry in my own strength. I'd done ministry and I didn't know it at the time, but I was doing it for approval from people. And you're talking about the most exhausting thing you can do is live for the praise of people. Somebody once said, if you live for the praise of men, you'll die by their criticism. And that's what was happening. I was dying because I was spinning my wheels. And, um, and I just knew that the Lord was calling me away. Sometimes you can sit in a service, in a chair, and you can do business with God, and you can... You can, do, you can respond to him. Sometimes you need to pack a suitcase. <laughs> and you need to go up the mountain and meet with him. And that's what I had to do. And I knew God was calling me. And there was a conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And there's a, 
At the time, it was fairly new, the Music City Center. If you've been there to see that place. But it's a huge place. Thousands of people at this conference. Um, I was so hungry for God and hungry for more in my life that I took the risk to be there because that was a different kind of expression of Christianity than I was used to, if you catch my drift. We were in the first worship service, and the worship was not mildly expressive, okay? It was like some of y'all worship, like just over the top, right? Just wild. And there were things in the room that I was not used to. There were people that felt like it was totally okay not to stand there and sing, but actually lay on their face and cry and spin and dance. And like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> At that point in my life, I was like, I mean, this is cool and all, but I don't know about all this. I don't know about anything that's happening in this room right now. I don't know why I'm here other than I just want you, Jesus. And the more I sat in that offensiveness, the more the Lord began to reveal to me, oh, I'm here. Oh, I'm here. Every song we sung was about Jesus. Every word that was preached, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when I talked to the t a conference attendees, what I, I would just, you know, you're sitting, we're waiting for a sandwich and you get in a conversation. What I began to realize is that there are people in that room that had had an encounter with Jesus that marked their lives. And some of the expressions of worship that I was seeing was just a result of meeting Jesus and losing their dignity and losing their pride. Be careful when we scrutinize somebody's worship. I didn't mean to go here, but there's a, there's a verse in the Old Testament where David, the ark's coming back into the city. And, and David goes nuts to the degree that, like, he ain't even keeping his clothes on good, Okay. And his wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, she's watching from the window in disgust. And the Bible says something about when Michael confronted David. And she, she says, like, like, basically says, like, I can't believe you made a fool of yourself today. Like, that's not worship. That's being a fool. And it says that Michael was barren from that day forward. There's something about a critical spirit that will allow no life to come out of you. That's just a side note. I'm so thankful because that's who I was in that moment. And God set me free literally that day. Because I, I sat in my offense and instead of walking out and going home, I said, God, I want all of you that, that I can have. Nothing more, nothing less. And I trust you to guide me into your heart. I'm not going to fear what I see. I'm just going to press into your heart. There was a breakout session at this conference. And the title of the breakout session was something to the effect of come and learn how to lead a church through a move of God as a pastor. Right? And I thought, well, I'm, I'm passionate about revival. That's what I want. I don't want to go off the rails and go crazy, but I don't want to quench something God's doing either. So I need this. I have my Bible. 
I had my pen and my notebook, and I walked into that ballroom in the full fluorescent, fluorescent lights with the ugly carpet, which has since then become very beautiful carpet to me because I, I laid on it for 45 minutes, and I'm not to that point in the story yet. But I'm, at the, I'm in this ballroom, and, and this guy says, I've decided to switch up some things today. I'm not going to talk about stewarding a move of God. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Okay. What is he going to talk about? The serpent? I mean, like, what? And he walks us through. There's a bunch of ministry leaders in the room. He knew who his audience was and what we needed. He walked us through the first three chapters of Genesis and he brought out the father heart of God to us. I've never read Genesis like that before. But I got a glimpse of the tenderness of God that I've never seen before, never experienced before. And, and the whole time he's talking, my mind is, oh, this is, this is so beautiful. But, but wait a minute. Yeah, but. And the Holy Spirit through this revelation of the Father's heart drawing me in. But then the religion in me said, yeah, but. And I was, it was tug of war. And the man, I mean, the whole time he's just very calm. There's no hype. There's no worship team. There's no lights, fluorescent bulbs in the room. And he says, I just feel the need, some of you, you know, we can read the word together, but God's love is to be experienced. You need an experiential relationship with this father that I'm talking about. And so I want to ask anybody who you feel like this is not really tracking, maybe because of wounds in your past, maybe some things that you've been through, you can't really connect with God as a father. Would you come up and we're going to dismiss and would you just come up and let us pray for you? And I know you've probably been to churches where it was wild and crazy and you're like, is this even God? I don't know what your experience was. I know what mine was. And mine was in a quiet room. A man came and laid his hand on my shoulder and he asked the father to reveal his love to me. And I lay in the floor for 45 minutes and it felt like a blanket of his presence just was pushing me down. It felt like an embrace that I never wanted to get out of. Fully aware of what was happening in the room. But also more aware of a reality that I had not known. To that degree. That I got a father that really loves me. I mean really loves me. I thought about my wife and kids. I thought about our church. I thought about our family. I thought about our future. I thought about all those things. And I, I mean, no offense to my family or anything else, but I literally had this thought. I'd trade it all for this moment. Yeah. 
Like, do you know the love of Jesus like that? Do you know the love of the Father where everything else in your life becomes so pale in comparison? God wrecked my life that day in a really good way. And I got up. And that's been several years ago. And I get up some mornings and I don't believe what happened. I don't believe in a God that would love me like that. But he always pulls me back to the truth of who he is. Defining encounters with him are anchors in our lives. That was an anchor. I believe today that the Lord wants to put the anchor down in some of your lives. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to all stand. And we are going to dismiss service, much like happened that day in that breakout session. Because I believe that the Lord wants you to not just know his love in theory, but he wants you to encounter him today. So uh, um, I asked Rob during worship, where you at, Rob? Come on up here. Um, Rob is going to be uh, Rob's going to be praying with me. He's going to stand behind you. Because I'm just being honest. I know where your, back, I don't know where your background comes from. But that day, um, it's never happened to me before. But the love of God was so profound on, on my life and on my body that my legs gave out from under me. I'm not one of these that's going to let anybody push me down. I tell you that. Okay. It was the Lord. Why does that happen? I don't know. But we don't want you falling on concrete. So there's that. We're not manufacturing anything. We're just trying to keep you safe and just letting you know. All right. So here, here we go. We're going to pray. And that if something in your heart, the Lord spoke, says, Gunner, or whoever your name is, <laughs> you need that. Like, I want to I reveal myself to you. Now, you can, he can do that, you sitting in your chair. Or he can do that up here, receiving prayer. I know sometimes it takes a step to say, this is what I want. So this is all about Jesus. This is all about knowing him. It's about knowing his heart. I can preach for 20 years about the love of God, but it takes the Holy Spirit to pour out that love in our hearts. And so we just want to invite him to do what he wants to do today. So Holy Spirit, we ask for you to reveal the heart and the nature of the Father. We pray that the very essence, the very presence, the very nature of Jesus would be manifest in this room. Jesus, that, that spirit that you were filled with and that surrounded you, Lord, we just ask for that manifestation of your presence to be in this room that you would move on hungry hearts, that you would heal the broken, that you'd restore those, bring, draw home the ones that don't know you like that.
And it's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. All right. You guys have a great week. And uh, we'll see you here next Sunday for our Grab the Net Sunday. And um, if you want to receive ministry, just come on, come on up, okay? This is how we're closing. So love you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.